0: welcome to the Happy in Medicine podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Arnold. I'm an expert certified coach and a physician mom. I help women physicians go from burnout to happy in medicine. Let's get started. Hi, right. today we talk a very splashy and essential topic. If you're listening to the Happy in Medicine podcast, you have to know this topic is essential for being happy in medicine, being happy in your relationships, being happy in your home. This is actually one of the most common reasons people see coaching with me. And I want everyone to have these tools. I don't want these tools to be limited just to people in my paid program. I want people to have them no matter what. They're free 24-7. It's all laid out here. My best content. You're not getting a nibble of everything is laid out here for you you're going to want to take notes. You're going to listen to this a couple of times. You're probably going to want to share it with your friends because this content in the hands of more women creates more good for the whole world. It's actually revolutionary and you can be a part of making the world a better, safer place by listening to this podcast episode and sharing it with people you care about. It's the number one topic I'm asked to coach on. People do not want to talk about this up front. They want, they feel like there's a lot of negativity and shame around the issue of money or asking for more or asking for a better schedule. They feel like they have to deserve and justify it. And listen, if you heard the word negotiations and went, "ooh," it's because you, like every other person in the world has been conditioned to think money and asking for things is wrong and evil. we're supposed to sacrifice and have less. And there's no problem that your brain thinks that and you deserve more. And the way I lay it out is not a win-lose. You're, you're greedy if you get what you want, or your institution is terrible if you don't get what you want. It's not a win-lose. I'm going to show you how, how to think of negotiations in a totally new way. It's a beautiful way that taps into your natural feelings that are naturally very high. It's aligned with your integrity and honesty. It's so important. You'll never hear negotiations taught this way. I've never, ever, ever heard people talk this way. And the people, when they get to this process, it really helps them create magical findings, not just their salary and schedule and all the other things that come with a job, but also in your relationships. If you're able to know the art of negotiations to build win-win scenarios, it'll help you strengthen your marriage, your family, your parenting. Give these skills to your children and they'll go on to make a bigger, bolder, beautiful life that's even more amazing and safe for the world. So important. I'll say these tools also are going to work right away. People have told me they've Listen to this content that I'm giving you. I, I usually have it behind a paid wall. They'll listen to it Sunday night on a Monday night when they, Monday, when they go meet with their chair, they get a 60K raise. They had chair, their annual review on Friday. They listen to it Thursday night. They go in and get a hundred thousand raise on Friday. It works really quickly in a variety of capacities. So you're going to want to listen to this. This will be a classic one. It's so important because there is a gender pay gap in our country and We are conditioned to think asking for more is not okay. It's aggressive to ask, so we shouldn't know how to negotiate. We're not really trained in it at all, and all of this just perpetuates this pay gap. So we're going to talk about it today, and I've left nothing out. It's all here for free, forever, on demand, because you deserve more. And part of being happy in medicine throughout your life is being able to craft your life to a way that feels good for you. And also that will help the people around you in all the ways. You have to know how to negotiate to do this. It's an art. It's in a skill. You can learn it. I promise. There's no part of your life that that can't be improved by knowing these skills. We need these tools in the hands of more women. There's just no doubt about it. We're not taught these skills, but we really need to. And you just look at the science of the the pay gap and you're like, yes, women need these, these skills. So to be part of the change, to be part of this revolutionary process, to help more women, to help the world be a better, safer place, I would ask for you to share this episode with as many women as you can. It makes the whole world better and safer because hands or money in the hands of good people creates more good. Moms who have more money, they invested in their children's future and their experiences and charities and other moms. Money isn't evil. It can be used for good in the hands of good people. More education, more opportunities, more growth. Women being paid equal to men is a revolutionary concept. Unfortunately, it's a revolutionary. but This should just be standard, but it's revolutionary. So be a part of the moment and share this with as many women as you can. Let's get started. So we're going to go through. I'm just going to be going... Point by point, the most common myths, whereas I've w- I've watched hundreds of people negotiate successfully or terribly over the past 23 years in academic medicine. I'm gonna just show you the most common pitfalls so you can avoid them, the most common helpful strategies that are mindset as well as action line tips. So you have them all. Ready? Myth number one. But I only don't negotiate once a job or once a year. This is a really common myth that just sets you up to not negotiate at all or to feel very insecure or doubt yourself. And it's not helpful to bring that into negotiations. What you want to be thinking is that you, this negotiations happen every single day of your life. I promise you, every day you're negotiating 100 times a day. And it might start with, do I get out of bed now or I'm going to hit the snooze button? I'm going to take a shower now or shower at the end of the day. Do I have a second helping of pizza or am I good? Am I going to pick up the kids or I'm going to ask the husband to pick up the kids? Am I going to leave work now or am I going to set the side of stuff for tomorrow? Am I going to go to bed now or i am going to watch TV for two hours? You are constantly negotiating. Most common negotiations are with yourself. So as you learn the skill, you're going to develop your relationship with yourself in a different way and it will improve every part of your life. Myth number two, but I'm not an expert in negotiations. When you say that, you're going to undermine yourself. So here's a thought I give to my clients. You are an expert. Negotiations, listen, if that word gives you the heebie-jeebies, say conversations. You've been having conversations your entire life since you were, I don't know, six months old, a year, I don't know, when you could start talking, one year old, <laughs> two years old, having conversations. You've been having conversations your whole life. You've been having a conversation with yourself about what you want your whole life. You actually are the only expert in the whole world for what you want. That's a powerful thought. And imagine taking that into your spirit of negotiations. I am the world's expert of what I want. It's a very powerful thought. Number three, most if you at query rooms, I have lectured on negotiations, coached on negotiations, hundreds and hundreds of physicians over time. When I always ask them, what's the number one feeling you want for negotiations? They always say confidence. That's what the world teaches us. We need confidence. And I teach the opposite. I teach that confidence is the least useful feeling to have in negotiations. And here's why. It can very easily be misread as entitlement or arrogance it will have you put on your blinders and not be able to read the room and miss important cues. Like the person just took a big inhale, leaned back in their chairs and crossed their arms. They're clearly showing they're shutting down and you're missing it because in your mind, you're like, I deserve this. And, it f- and it's coming across as arrogant. So I teach people in my program how to read through the read through the lines and how to stay very connected. And the feeling, not confidence that I recommend, the feeling that I recommend is one you already have buckets of. So imagine this, imagine you're going into negotiations, it's a job you really want, it's someone you really respect, you're very scared and nervous because you're a normal human being and you're thinking, I should be competent what's going to happen is you're going to be even more stressed out. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, now I don't have confidence and I don't have experience. And so none of that is necessary. I like to say the feeling I'm going to tell you about is the one feeling that's actually probably one of your strongest feelings. If you've been in medicine, if you have children, if you're married, if you have a long-term friendships, this is a very high feeling. It's natural for you. So that when you go to negotiate for your top program with someone you really respect, even if you're nervous and scared, you'll be able to cultivate this feeling because it's very strong in you already. Ready to hear what it is? It's the feeling of collaboration. Not confidence. It's collaboration. Where that comes from is a thought that this is going to be win-win for everyone. And in my coaching program, I show you we develop that story. So it's one you really believe very deeply that me asking for this set of things is going to help everyone. This helps everyone because if I go to the center and I feel really good about this center, this move, this decision, I'm going to give a whole lot more at a very high level. I'm going to be growing in all these different ways, growing the department, growing the revenue, growing the patient experience, improving improving the outcomes. I'm going to help stabilize the work culture. I'm going to be giving for years to come. They're not going to have to keep searching for a new physician every three years. They're going to have stability. To for massive growth. This helps everyone. When I negotiate for a higher raise, that raises the benchmark for all the current employees and all the future employees. It helps decrease the gender pay gap for the people ahead of me at my level and behind me. This is in everyone's best interest. Collaboration is a feeling that can be received really well. The other people in the room, when they feel like you're really in it, not just for yourself, but for everyone there. It's received very differently. It helps you open up all your senses to pay attention to all the cues, to read between the lines, to read the spirit of the room. It is a very effective negotiation energy, and it's it's the predominant energy of most women positions. Next myth: When I ask people, what are you really afraid of here? They're, they have an idea of what they want. What are you really afraid of here? They generally say when we did do the, de- the digging that they're afraid of hearing a no because they meant the no means they ask for something and they're told no, that the other person's going to hate them. I think they're greedy and selfish. They're, they're not going to respect them anymore. They make it this uh, They're not a team player. They're terrible people. They're not good citizens. They just tear apart their value. They make the no equal to something horrible. So it becomes this very high stakes situation. So what I like to offer instead, as I coach you on this, no is the beginning of a conversation. No is actually the normal human response. If you go into any room, there's a thousand people in the room, and you ask them, do they want to play baseball? Most people, if you just in the first second of their response, are going to say no. It's what the normal human brain does. Even if you have baseball players, they're going to be like, nah. (laughs) It's the normal human response. No is not a bad thing. It's the beginning of a conversation. I actually, how I coach on is that no is a good thing because it means they're listening to you, it means they're at the table, it means they're engaged with you. Another way I look at it is, In negotiations, I imagine that there is a table full of, let's say like you're going into a conference room, there's a table full of goodies, full of the money, the books, the research funds, it's like full of stuff. And your job is to ask for it because leaders are often told, we can only give you so so much. And then you have to ask for it to get more of the table. So they're going to give you the whole table the first time. They're going to give you some. It's going to be a beautiful, fair offer mo- most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, knowing that you're going to ask. And when they ask, then they give you more, and then they give you more. So that's their graded. Most leaders are going to negotiate in that way. They're not going to give you all up front. They're going to give themselves some wiggle room to negotiate through. So you want to be able to ask. I know I've been with a leader who was like, are there any questions? And I And I paused. And she said, listen, I need you to ask for something. I can't give this to you unless you ask. The dean has told me this is all I can put out there. But if you ask, then I can give you more. She needed me to ask. So you can look at it as my asking helps this person help me. This person wants to help me. She wants me to come. She wants me to be happy and successful and help execute her vision in the department. She needs me to ask so that we can make all of this work. So when I hear the no, I actually, my personal philosophy and is to negotiate until you hear a no, to keep going and to hear a no. If you don't hear a no, that means to me, in my mind, there's more on the table. And so we want to like, I, I don't make the no mean a bad thing. Like no means, okay, here's our guardrail. Here's our boundary. I kind of celebrate it. No means, okay, great. We got everything that there was to give. Everyone's getting what they want. This is all win-win. And we move into the next phase. Now i will say... Something else I've noticed from coaching people is they'll often make, they'll tell me, well, they said no, full stop, period. So my question is, okay, but what if the no isn't a stop sign? If you feel really good about where you are in negotiations, that no is great. You can just take it and that can be a stop sign. But from oftentimes when people come into coaching, they're like, but they said no, but I really, this is really important for me. And it's kind of gnawing at me. And in that case, what I would offer is no doesn't have to be a stop sign. No can be like, okay, this is where we are. There's a, there's a a boundary here they're trying to put up. And my job as, as the person who is negotiating with them is just to kind of see like, where's the flex? Can I reframe it? Can we find another way to work around? Can I find another inroad? Can I make it easier for them to say, yes, let me figure out how I can do that. Next. Next. Very common, I hear this. But Dr. Arnold, I asked them for what I wanted, and I didn't get it. And I'll ask them how how many times did you ask? And they'll say once. Listen, the brain always wants to. The brain makes a lot of drama around negotiations. It's like I don't want to do this more than once. Of course, right? Imagine a little two year old crosses their arms. I don't want to clean my room. The brain does not want to do this more than once. The reality is. If you're at, have a, a big, beautifully resistible, impossible ask, if you've got something really big, it's for sure going to take you more than one conversation. Remember the leadership style of negotiation is often graded. So they're going to, they plan, anticipate on you asking a few times. And so they l- release a little more funds a few times. It might take you two conversations. You might be super uncomfortable. It might not be your favorite thing. And also, what if you get exactly what you want? Could you hold yourself through that discomfort to get exactly what you want? This happened just last week. I was coaching someone who had asked for a hundred thousand dollar raise. She asked and they said, the most we can get you is 50,000. And here it is. And she was, happy that she got this big raise and she was also kind of really upset because she felt very underpaid and she felt like 50,000 was just getting her to the average and she really wanted 100,000. So I said, what is your rule for how many times you can ask? She said, one, obviously, you can't ask more than once. And I said, you know what? What if that's not true? What if your leader cannot give you a $100,000 raise unless you ask twice? When you get it, would you be willing to be uncomfortable for a second conversation? She did. She got a $100,000 raise per year for the rest of her life. It's about knowing that the, the feeling of discomfort that you make yourself feel so uncomfortable about is going to be temporary. If you're going to hold yourself through it, keep telling yourself this is a win-win for everyone. This will be easier to recruit more people. More people will stay. Your patients will be happier. There'll be fewer mistakes. The whole team work culture has improved hold yourself through that uncomfortable feeling, it's very possible you'll get what you want, but you may have to be asked more than once. So to the next point is really like as you're working through your negotiations is identify, and this is what can be very helpful to be in a coaching program. What is the feeling you're resisting? You're telling yourself, I can't ask a second time because if I do, I'm going to feel this way. You are, when you're holding yourself back that way, the only thing in your way is a feeling. You have one feeling in the way. So in coaching, it might be hard for you to see it. That's where I can point it out for you. But figure out what the feeling is and label it. For many people, it's fear or anxiety or worry or judgment or humiliation or embarrassment, something like that. What if you could be willing to feel that very uncomfortable feeling, knowing it's temporary, knowing it's that feeling is actually invented by your brain, so you're in full control of it, Know that feeling is trying to help you, that feeling just wants some reassurance. So it might sound something like this. I'm scared. It's okay that I'm scared. I really want this job. It's okay that I am worried they think my I'm greedy. I'm it's okay that I'm worried they'll think I'm greedy. It's because I really care about them and because integrity is really important to me. So of course I'm nervous. I really care about this job. I really care about these people. It makes so much sense. Of course I care. And Of course, I'm not greedy. I've really thought this out very carefully. This makes so much sense. It's a win for everyone. It's okay to ask for this. It can help everyone, and here's how. My only job is to take the time to make space and care for this very uncomfortable feeling as long as it's here, knowing that it's here to help me, but let it be okay. Would Would you be willing, this is my question to you, to feel uncomfortable for five minutes, to make millions of dollars over the next several years. That money, of course, goes towards your children, to your homes, your family, to opportunities, to education, to supporting other women in medicine. All right, next tip. For sure, make sure you ask. If you get one thing from this episode, it's that no matter what they offer you, you make sure to ask something. And listen, I promise you, you will have heard, they'll tell you, maybe even... This is a standard boiler contract. Nobody asks for anything. This is academics. We don't do anything else. We have 100 applications for every job. We are so very competitive. We really don't want you to to ask for anything. This is the story that goes out there. And you can believe that, but I would encourage you to ask for something. Because you just might get it. And even if you don't get it, you're going to get in the practice of believing yourself. And practice the exercise of growing this muscle of asking and advocating for yourself. It's priceless. Plus, if you don't ask for anything, the answer to whatever you want is no. It came from you. That's super painful. So we want to just get in the practice of asking for things. It's so, And you can do that if you make the no not mean something terrible. The worst that's going to happen is someone's going to say two letters and then everyone gets what they want. I mean, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. It could actually be a great thing. It requires you to, in advance, tell yourself that the no doesn't mean something terrible and that this is for your growth. This is for your betterment. No matter what happens, you just making the ask is something that grows your self-concept and capacity. If you make the no not mean something terrible, you'll just get hit the no. You're like, okay, I got everything on the table. You can decide if you want to proceed or not. Next is do not believe there are so many stories out there. There are so many stories that people just take as facts that because of the pandemic, because of the recession, because of academics, because you're in one of the lower paying fields like pathology or pediatrics or family medicine, there's just no money for you this is such a white hot lie. It's just not true at all. People say it like it's the day of the week fact news. It is so not true. It's just you've been sold this pack of lies for a very long time. It's just not true. I'll say five people last month in my program created five and six figure raises, $80,000, $90,000, $100,000, $125,000, $130,000. That was last month, five people All of them, I think maybe most of them, all but one, were in academics. Many of them were in pathology. There is millions of dollars on the table. Look around. like No matter what's happening, have you noticed the CEOs aren't getting laid off? Their salaries aren't getting slashed? They still get millions of dollars of bonuses? It's because there's still money. You just have to know how to ask for it. You have to sell yourself that you deserve it, and then you have to have the skills to negotiate for it. You get it all in this podcast. and it's there. Ask for something and you're likely to get something. So I always tell people to ask for something because no matter what, you're likely to get something. If you're talking to a university leader who really wants you there, and maybe they can't do the $125,000 raise, but maybe they can do $75,000 and then they throw in this other thing for you, like extra off-service time, which... Time being your most, I mean, time actually I would say is more valuable than money. Time is just so precious because you never get more of it. Time is a really big thing. Getting time back is huge. And so you wouldn't have gotten either if you hadn't asked. So ask for something and you're likely to get something. You're likely to get what you want or something close to it or something else. So why not ask? Our next point is decide what you want first. So many people I coach, they're like, well, I just want to see what they offer first. And then I'll consider if it works for me. It's the wrong way of going about it. You want to decide what you want first. You'll for sure listen to them, but you want to decide first. You want to have guide pulls for yourself. Don't leave it to other people to decide what you want. So they're generally going to try. They want to get you there. They're going to offer things that are important to them, but your interest might be a little bit different. They want you there. They want to know what you want. You want to go to a job that's a good fit, not a job that you've all grown before you even step on campus. So you want to be asking for what you want, not asking for what you don't want. So think about it. There's salary. There's service requirements. There's service, different types of service. There's office space. There's leadership. There's support. I'll say that this is a really unique, like what you want is going to be very unique and very specific for you. And I think this is where working with a coach can be helpful just kind of work through all these things. But you could just have a journal and write down like what would have you <clears throat> be excited about this job. It's going to be unique. So for me, when I was looking for a job, I didn't want any leadership. I hated leadership. I tried it and each time I hated it more than the last time I wanted instead, I wanted as much time off as possible. I wanted support for my coaching. I want freedom over anything else. My husband was very different. He likes lots of leadership. He really enjoys leading people and working through problems and helping people on a large scale, digital path. He likes bringing new technology on. He likes to be on service because he wants to know the issues. It's so important for him to see what the issues are. So he and I have very different service, like we have very different ideal ideas about a job. Neither are wrong or worse. We just want to know what that is first so you know what kind of job you're looking for. You want to negotiate for the job you want, not the job you don't want. I'll just say, as just a side note, how many times people who come to me for coaching, they they have written a list of things they think they should want, things they think the other institution wants them to have. And when I stop them to say, wait a minute, do you want 5,500 RVUs a year? They're like, whoa, no, I don't. Well, then let's not even offer that. To our next point, so offer only offer what you want. That's a huge thing. I can't tell you how many people have told me they've offered something they hated, and then hated the job right away. No, no, no. We offer what we want, not what we don't want. So if you don't want to be a leader, don't offer to be a leader. If you don't want to be ninety-five percent on service, don't offer to be ninety-five percent on service. Our next point is: I see they hear this a lot, a lot when people come in for coaching on negotiations. They'll say. I just need to figure out this seems to be reasonable to me, doesn't it, Dr. Arnold? Can you, can you agree with me? And what I'll tell them is this is their wrong question to ask. Nobody ever, ever went through decades of training, six-figure debt, and sacrifice to have a reasonable life. No one wants to be reasonable. Imagine going to a cemetery, and do you imagine a cemetery tomb says, Christina Arnold, she lived a very reasonable life. Nobody ever said that ever. Imagine opening a book and looking for the book dedications. What a reasonable book. So the New York Times never imagine you're buying a sweater. You're kind of looking at the reviews to see if it was an itchy sweater or how it fit. And someone said, well, this is a very reasonable sweater. said no one ever. We are not looking for reasonable folks. So when your brain says that, it's just that societal conditioning coming in to try to decrease what you're asking for. Instead, what I coach on is what would it take to be excited to be at this job? It's a very different question. You're going to want to work on this. You're going to want to write at the top of your journal prompt. What would it take for me to be excited about this job and then let your brain go crazy? Don't judge it. Don't edit it don't tell yourself, oh, that's too crazy. Just let your brain really go there. How, would you, how could you be excited about the job? Because you know what the chair wants? The chair wants you to be excited about this job because they know someone who comes excited is just going to come and revolutionize the place for them. That's so exciting. So what would it take to be excited about this job? Write it all down. Step away, take a few days off, rest, and keep coming back to it like in an iterative fashion. Come back to it on Wednesday, and check back on Friday, back on Sunday, and just keep see is there anything else left on this list? After you feel like the list is pretty complete, then I suggest coming through it with a highlight or different color pen and circling the priority items. Like I might have on my list to see a hologram concert by Prince. I mean, I love that idea. I'd be so excited. And I don't want to use my negotiation space on something like that. So that wouldn't be something I circle. I would probably circle something like base pay or research funds or service time, things that are going to have a very lasting impact. I love Prince, but one hologram concert is not going to have as much give over time as a higher base pay, right? With a higher base pay, I'll go pi- I'll go buy a hologram concert or Prince, for example, or Taylor Swift. That's what everyone's going to see right now, Taylor Swift to do that. You're going to have to drop the judgment about what you want. I like to circle the areas. I usually suggest asking for three things in your negotiations. Common question is, when's the best time to ask? The answer is there is never a best time. Nobody ever wants to have an ask. No leader ever said, gosh, I hope she asked me for something, (laughs) right? So, Having said that, there's also no worst time to ask. There really isn't. Your brain's going to say, oh, it's the worst time in the holidays. And then it'll say, oh, it's the worst time because it's around meeting time. Everyone's going to this meeting. Then it'll say for summer, oh, it's the worst time in summer. Everyone's traveling. And in the fall, it'll say, oh, it's the worst time. Everyone's back to school and depressed or busy or overwhelmed or overbooked. So don't listen to your brain. There's no best time. There's no worst time. There's just the time you pick and you just go forward from there. Do not believe your brain. The only time to ask is an interview or at your annual review. It's just not. I can't tell you how many people come to me. They're like, oh, but Dr. Arnold, I am interviewing for this job. On Friday, it's my only chance to get what I want. If I don't get it, I'll never have a good, and I'll never be able to get this because I know once I go, they've got me, and I'll never be able to negotiate. And it's just a fat lie, and it creates so much pressure for you, right? If you're thinking this is my one and only chance, it undermines your ability to be a skilled negotiator. And all that pressure is not useful. So I tell people, listen, you're going to negotiate as well as possible. And with my coaching skills and group and support and courses, you're going to be very well prepared. Trust, be reassured in the process. And then next and then when we're going to put all that in place and see how it's working and then we're going to ask again maybe it'll be the next annual review or maybe 6 months into it you're like you know what this this particular office is not working we need to negotiate for this we negotiation is a conversation remember it's a conversation and you just get to determine when do we want to have this conversation or not it helps depressurize the system so you can really drop into that collaborative energy don't wait for i mean i just say There's no, your brain, I just was coaching someone. She was like, well, the Labor Day is coming up. This can't be a good time. What? Not everyone celebrates Labor Day in that way. Uh, It doesn't have to be a bad time. Maybe it's a great time because a person's just about to go on vacation or they're about to celebrate this cruise. It doesn't, there's no good or there's no bad time. There's just a time. And here's the truth. There's always going to be a crisis, y'all. A lot of times I'll hear people say, well, so-and-so is going to be back from their sabbatical in two months. I can wait till then. And I'll say, yeah, but then what if someone retires in two months or someone leaves or someone goes on maternity leave? There's always something. If you're in a large enough department, there is always something. And I promise you, if your brain doesn't want to negotiate, it will always find something oh, she seems a little sad today, she seems a little distracted today, it She'll always find a reason for you not to negotiate. So the truth is there's never a good or bad time, it's just the time you decide and then you move forward with it. So in my coaching program what I do is we just say, what is the date? Let's put a date on the calendar and then let's work towards that. Every week we're gonna get you a little closer and a little closer to that goal so that you're prepared on that day. You, what I find most people do is they say, well, I wanna wait till I feel ready, whatever that means. And here's what happens. You won't ever feel ready. You'll go from a place of, I wish I had this to resenting the job, to hating the job, to leaving the job. That's often what happens when people say, I want to wait till I feel ready. How you really want to work it is to have more authority over that situation. When you decide in your mind, I'm ready enough, you'll feel ready thought precedes the feeling. The feeling doesn't precede the thought. When you say I'm ready enough and you feel ready, that's when you move forward. And that's what we do in coaching is we just decide here's our date, here's our plan and our strategy. And every week we just prepare ourselves a little more. I don't think you need weeks to prepare, really. I have so many examples of people who came in on a Monday, listened to the negotiations course, it's under an hour, and on Tuesday created a five or six-figure raise. It really doesn't take that long. All right, next Win-win. Just want to emphasize again, I think what makes us really, really powerful is to keep coming back to that collaborative energy. Keep dropping down when your brain starts getting into stress of, I'm not sure I can ask. It's only because you went into win-lose mode. You went into, well, I'm greedy. I shouldn't ask. Or if they don't give it to me, they don't care. And I'm I'm devalued. It's just because your brain has gone off course and your job is to bring it back. How is this win-win for everyone? Me coming to this institution creates so much more stability, creates more opportunities. Bring this book project with us. Bring research opportunities here. We help stabilize the service. We help provide service in this unique way. It's a win-win for everyone helps you when you go there, you'll perform at a high level. It's a win-win for everyone. I think that's where you just want it. When you're in that place, you can draw on that natural collaborative energy. All right. Irresistible ask process is a way I formalized. I teach this in my program. It's a way I formalized making sure you are having a win-win setup and that you ask for your ass in a very structured and thoughtful way. It's not to be manipulative. It's to help you build win-win. Scenario. So here's the process. One is what they want. Two, how you deliver it. Three, what you want. And four is the silence. You have to do it in that order. You have to do your homework. It can be one sentence. I'm going to give you a couple of examples, but I've seen this messed up at every level in all kinds of ways. What they want is that's that's an, an applicant who has just no idea who they're talking to, and that's going to be a mismatch. You're going to want to study and figure out what they want. You'll understand that through the course of your interview. You'll understand that by talking to people about what they like about their job, what Makes a candidate successful at their jobs. The thing I recommend people do is get a copy of the promotion dossier. Get an understanding of what they require for promotion. It reveals everything about their values. It tells you a lot about where their emphasis are. You want to do that because every institution is different. Some institutions really, really, really value committee work. Others institutions don't care all about committees. They just want papers. Other centers just want you to pull like have as many RVs as possible. So it's how you figure that out is just paying attention. If you're in collaborative energy during your interview days, you will pay attention and you will understand what's important. Asking a few well-placed questions, taking a look at the promotion documents ahead of time. How you can deliver it. So that's where you're going to just put your head together. Okay. They want to grow their research arm and getting that impression. Everyone I meet with says that their goal is to increase the research arm of their center. Okay, let me put together how I can help them deliver it. I can highlight how much research I've done. That these are the areas I'm interested in. I can emphasize that I'm will, I can support research from their GI cancer center, for example. I can give them ideas on how we can put this together. I can help recruit researchers too through your experience and training and network. Step three is what I want. So this is where we want to say, okay, what is it that I want? And that's where you're this is where I think coaching can be really helpful in figuring out what is it that you want. I can't tell you this is a really predominant issue for most people who are applying is they they're so desperate to get a job that they don't even they're just like, just please give me this job. Versus thinking, actually, I'm a competitive, well-trained person. What do I want to make this work? And it's nothing to fault the person. I think you just go through decades of training and being told that because you're a trainee, you're not as important. You get all of these messages. So you don't even think about what you want as a trainee. You're just like, just give me a job. So we want to be able to know what we want. I think coaching can help separate that out. And then part four is the silence. This is where you give them time and opportunity to say yes. You give them time and space to think about how can they make this all work? Who do they need to email? Who do they need to ask? Where can they get these resources? This time is critical. You need to honor it. You need to create it as much as possible. How I see people struggle in this part is they have built up a story that negotiations is terrible and they're greedy for asking. So they get to the silence part. And then they just start telling themselves horrible things. I guess I shouldn't have asked. This is so terrible. I wish I could take it back. And then they actually do. Never mind. I didn't mean that. Just don't even. Just pretend like I didn't say that, right? So they unnegotiate. They unnegotiate to try to get out of this uncomfortable feeling. Versus in coaching, what I'm teaching you to do is how to. And ahead of time, we label and figure out what is that feeling you're resisting, and we grow your capacity to feel it for temporary bits of time. And you get to learn ahead of time to practice that feeling. So when you show up on that day and the feeling shows up too, you're like, oh yeah, this is that silence. This is that golden silence Christina was telling me about. This is what I want to just sit back, take some deep breaths. Sit back and remind myself, this person is silent, not because I'm greedy. This person is silent because they're trying to say yes. They want me to come here. I'm really close to my yes. All I have to do is hold myself through these uncomfortable feelings and when you're my program you have all the coaching skills you need to hold yourself through that you'll know what that means. All right so putting this all together step 1 knowing what they want step 2 how you'll deliver it step 3 what you want step 4 the silence and give you a couple of examples. So I was or I guess I am a pathologist still and I am an editor for a pathology textbook and each book has at least 1200 images. And our images are high quality. You will not find any other book, even though we've been doing this for, I don't know, 10 years now. There is still no other book that has as, the images as good as our book. And it's because we have very high quality oculars and, and very good. We make sure all our authors have very good, they either have a, a professional photographer who helps them, or they we start them all on the highest quality oculars and the highest quality photo programs. So, and it's expensive. So here's what it would sound like put our irresistible ass together. Step one. I understand you're looking to grow the clinical research arm of this institution. You wanted to grow the reputation as a strong research center. What I would like to do is bring my book series to your institution, which would involve giving the opportunity of other faculty, if they want it, to become authors and increase their visibility, accelerate their ability to be promoted, highlight the material here, improve recruitment of other faculty here. What I need is a very high-quality microscope and photo software, period, silence. In my head, I'm just counting the sheet, one-one-thousand, two-one-thousand, three-one-thousand. I'm telling myself, of course they want to say yes. Of course they're going to try to figure this out. This is such an easy win for them. They spend $50,000 on a microscope, and they get all of this exposure and attention. This is win-win-win. That's our first example. And I think it's important to to lay it out this way also because the person you're talking to may have to justify why they gave you all this extra stuff and and didn't do it for someone else. They're going to have to go to their chief financial officer and say, hey, listen, we had to buy her $100,000 worth of equipment because of blah, 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 blah. So when we lay it out in that irresistible ask process, we make it so much easier. We make it easier for them to say yes. And that's what we always want to be doing. That's really the hallmark of my negotiation process. How do we make it easier for everyone to get a win? All right. Next important point. Oh, gosh, this one's really painful. Because people make this mistake, and it's just a killer mistake. Are you ready? Here it is. Negotiate with the person who makes the decisions. So many people I hear about, they said, well, the secretary sent me a contract, and I asked her if I could uh, ask for an increased salary. And the secretary told me no. Of course the secretary told you no. She can't make that decision. And that's exactly why the chair sends the contract to the secretary, because she's hoping you'll feel comfortable with the secretary. You'll ask the secretary. Secretary tell you no, and then you just sign it. And that's actually how the secretaries often send it. They often say, here's our standard contract. We really don't negotiate. We look forward to having your sign response as soon as possible. That's how it's usually done. Do not bother wasting your time on people who can't make the decision. Be nice to the secretary, respect and honor her. She is a very important, honored, beloved person like anybody else in the department, but do not ask her her questions because she can't give you the answer. So save that all for the person who makes the decision, which brings me to the next point, decision embargoes. When you go to negotiations, you're going to be making three asks. They very well might make three asks of you or more know that this is a conversation right nothing is and it's not bad good or anything else it's just an, it's a conversation and as you ask for things they might ask for things too so maybe they'll say okay we um would lo- we can give you the chair or we can give you the title of vice chair we are going to need you to take over the IC lab for example there may be that kind of back and forth And my advice, I beg and plead with you, please do not say yes right away. Please put this under a decision embargo. So it might sound like something like this. This is a tremendous opportunity. I'm really honored that you would consider me. I am definitely interested. I do want to take some time to really give this some thoughtful consideration. I will get back to you in 14 days, whatever you want to say. Please do this. I can't tell you how many people I've seen say yes to something That in the moment when everyone was signing documents and feeling hurrah and, you know, we just got told you're going to get this big raise and then they ask you, but you can just do the small task. In the morning, they're like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe what I just did. They go to the job already resenting it. So listen, decision embargo. It's just great in general. When anyone asks you something really, like take some time and just put it in bargain, especially if you're feeling emotional, especially if you're like, oh, this will be amazing. Question that feeling, please. That's, we don't wanna make decisions from that place. You want to make very grounded decisions that make sense. Is this thing that's going to take away time from something I love? Because only all, all of us only get 24 hours a day. Is this thing that's going to take come from something I love worth it? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it'll be like, you know what? This would be amazing. And sometimes it won't be. Or if this thing they're asking is not something you want. It's not in your skill set. You don't want to learn it. It's not part of your promotion document. You may not want to pursue it. Decision embargo. It's perfect. Gives you time to think, make some inquiries, do some research, come get coached. We'll develop a plan together and get back to them in a reasonable time. This brings us to the next point is in general, and this is actually people, not just for negotiations, but if you're already in place, if you're asked to take something on, I think it's really important to ask for more support and however that might be. Maybe it's monetary, maybe it's academic time, maybe it's in research support. I think men do a very good job of asking for it like it's, nobody, like it's nobody's business. They'll just be like, oh yeah, I can be residency program director and that's gonna affect my promotion and salary. How? Men are very, very good at this and we need to take a note for men. Versus I think the women I've seen is they usually like, okay, I'll, I'll do it because she said I, I have no other choice. I have to do it. And I of course I have to do this for free because we're just all expected to do work for free. And now this woman is behind on promotions. She's paying less and gender equity gap is just rising. she's more likely to quit and be unhappy. And how we can really help ourselves here is by when we say yes to a project, if it feels aligned, if it feels good. Also, asking for more support as we say yes. It's not mean to ask to be paid for work. Think of it as a human right. I'll give so much more to this if I'm being paid for it, and and you can you decide what that pay is. The pay is in money, or it's in something else. I loved at getting more and more off service time because I just love the freedom of that. But it's up to you. All right, Um, to this myth. This is another myth. I have to get this all done right now when I'm in an interview is if I go there and I become faculty and I'm locked in, then they have me, then I'm over a barrel. I can never ask for anything again. That's going to create so much time pressure. I mentioned that earlier, but I want to say also for those of you who are listening to this, who are an established faculty. And if you're thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't ask for any of this. It's actually not a problem. You can ask also when you're an established faculty member and I'll tell you You're probably thinking, but they have me here. I can't, I don't have as good a position. That's not true. You have great leverage. You might have even better leverage than a new faculty because they know you, they trust you. You're already in their zip code. They don't have to lure you in. They don't have to worry about you being a flight risk. You're established there. You are very, very valuable. They want to keep you. That's a very powerful thought I'd offer all you. They want. To keep you, you absolutely can ask if you're an established faculty. I think you have an excellent leveraging position. Common question I'll get kind of this is this is um, in this realm is well, I have a job offer. I have three other interviews scheduled. It's not my first choice of this job offer. Should I keep these other interviews? My answer is yes. Keep your interviews. Keep interviewing until. You've decided, you've signed, and the contract has been executed because until the contract's executed, you want to be smart and look out for yourself. It's possible at the last minute they change their mind and keep the current in-house fellow. It's possible that you get a better offer from interview number three that just blows your mind. It's possible that your offer from site number three, you can leverage to help you improve your offer at this first choice site. So I say, keep interviewing. And you might be thinking at this time, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, that's so me. They're going to think I'm duplicitous. They're going to think I'm shady. And so we need to talk about all your thoughts about what everyone else is thinking, which is just never a useful place to go, right? But they might, they might think it's mean and they might hate it. And maybe that helps them get you a better contract sooner. It doesn't have to be a bad thing that they, that they, they, don't like what you're doing. doesn't have to be they don't like you. It's that they really want you to be at their center. And maybe they use that to get you there faster by issuing the contract faster and giving you what you want faster. Also, you want to question the story. They're not. They're going to hate me if I go there. It's very possible that they'll respect you more. That's possible too. I've been in rooms with leaders where they've said, oh, this person won't ask for anything. She never asked for anything. She's so passive. You can give her anything. She'll do anything. Horrible thing to say. And those same leaders being like, you know what? This person's really savvy. She's for sure going to go to a couple interviews. We better give her the best thing first. So I'm telling you, you don't want to be in other people's minds. But if you are going to be there, give yourself some space that they might respect you more. But here's Byron Katie offers that there's three types of business, your business, my business, and the Lord's business or the universe's business. Her point is just stay in your business. Don't be worrying about other people's business. And I have to do this to my brain constantly. My brain is constantly trying to think, what are they thinking? And especially in negotiations, a lot of people will think, oh my gosh, they're going to think I'm selfish and greedy. It's just not your place to be in their business. Stay in your business. Your job is to advocate for you. Their job is to advocate for them. Your job is not to advocate for them. Job is to it. Take care of you. I like. Here's your next tip is what would Oprah do here? You guys know I love if you've been listening to me. You know I love me some Oprah. How would Oprah handle this? How would Oprah ask? I just have a feeling Oprah would be just really grounded and she would just go and make that ask. There are studies that show that women, when they're advocating for themselves, that that can bring up a lot of intense emotions versus when women are advocating for other women, there's really not much of a more effective set of negotiation skills when women are advocating for their daughter they're really really good they're very very committed because in their mind they're telling themselves my daughter deserves this i want everything i can help for my daughter i'm willing to feel uncomfortable for our daughter we're often not willing to do that for ourselves so something you can offer yourself if you're in a negotiations you're feeling really uncomfortable is kind of zoom out get some perspective and think about what if I wasn't negotiating for me? What if I was negotiating for my daughter? Could I tap into some of that strength? Next tip is oh, do not fight for them. Please do not fight for them. I see so many people do this. Let me give you an example. Is that someone will come to me, they'll say, Well, I want to ask for X, Y, and Z, but here's the thing: I can tell the sinner is struggling. Someone just left for retirement. I don't really need the money. Money doesn't really solve problems. There's a recession. There's a pandemic. Notice what this client is doing. She's advocating for them. She's fighting for them. Don't do that. They can fight for themselves. They're a very, very rich company. Your job is to advocate for you and your family to stay in your business and know that it's never going to be a good time for a hospital. They're always going to tell you that they're struggling. So it's really just like, when is the best time? for you to bring this up, knowing that if you go there, you're really going to help them because this is a win-win situation. I hear this a lot. I actually just heard this this week where someone told me, but money doesn't solve problems, Christina. And I stopped them. And I said, actually, money does solve problems. And when you think money doesn't solve problems, what you set yourself up for is not to get what you want. But if you allow yourself to believe money does solve problems and find examples of that, when you have money, you get to pay for your house, your lights, you get to buy your kids instruments so they can be in band. You can send your kids on trips to see their grandmother. Hello, money solves problems. Do not believe the lie that money is evil doesn't solve problems. It does solve problems. Your job is to advocate for you and your family. Do not discount what's important for you. Money is for sure important. I think if more women believe money was important and solve problems, we have a smaller pay gap. Money definitely solves problems. All right, so in terms of negotiating, listen, I want to give you just some also we're gonna we're as we're wrapping up, I'm gonna give you some just some tips you might not have heard before. You get to decide, this is just experience from watching hundreds of people negotiate over the last 23 years. There are sometimes negotiation conversations where the chair says, tell me what you had in mind and in general if you are ha- in that kind of conversation it's it's best for them to tell you what they had in mind to be the first person who offers the salary number usually the person who offers it first is in a, in a better nego- is i don't want to say a better negotiation skill but uh i don't want to say that but here's why you want to do that is because if they offer the number and it's higher than yours you just hit the lottery and you didn't have to say anything right And you know, you're always going to ask. So even if you said you wanted to be at 250 and they offered you 275, of course, because you follow the process outlined in this episode, you're going to ask. But I really wanted, let's talk about a a 285 was what I had in mind. It's not being dishonest. It's creating win-win-wins for everyone. So in general, let them give the first number if you can. If you can't, then, because we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to be like, this doesn't need to be too gamey. If they're like, no, 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 you give me the first number. We don't want to do this to grow in a, in a pissing match. Then just offer the number that you had in mind. Bringing it back to the earlier principle, I said, make your decisions ahead of time. So if your idea of your salary, you want to be 250000 I would suggest you probably ask for 275000 You start up knowing that you're going to negotiate down more than likely. Next myth, this is huge. Oh my gosh, this is a huge one. I can't tell you. This is such a common. If you look at negotiation coaches out there, they'll tell you, you need to know MGMA data. You need to know the double AMC, You need data and comps. No, they're wrong. They are so very wrong. Do not give them money. Do not give those coaches money. (laughs) They are wrong. You really don't need to know those data. The people you're negotiating with, they might have that data if they want to use it that's fine it doesn't matter when your brain wants the mgma data that's a that looks at how physicians are paid it's trying to justify what you want but what if what you want is higher than what's in mgma data it's possible you will come out higher if you don't use the data against yourself cuz i'll tell you every physician who i've seen like go download this mgma data they tell themselves okay at this point it says i should get paid so that's what I'm going for. But what if you could have gotten $300,000? Do not listen to that data. You don't need it. It takes time. It's a distraction. The data exists. It's out there. It's imperfect. Go with your... You are... Remember the early principle, you are the world's expert on what you want. Go with that. There is no publicly available detailed data for the center you're applying for. Nobody has that information. You will not ever have it. Go with your information. What you want is what you should be asking for. Don't use that information against yourself. Prepare. Next topic, prepare. I think in the age of Zoom, we're all well-versed in Zoom. It's really helpful to practice what you're going to ask on Zoom until it's comfortable. So what I would do is I would go ahead and practice and then take a look at it and see. okay, oh, look at that. I seem to... Look off to the side a lot. I, I, my eye contact's a little weak. Or oh, my posture's really not so great. Or it seems like I'm up talking. I end my sentences with a question instead of a declarative, like, period. So you want to practice the key elements of what you're going to say and like what it looks like on Zoom. I know you're going to tell me, I hate looking at myself. I hate hearing my voice. Listen, there are millions of dollars on the line. You can be uncomfortable for a little bit of time. Actually, the discomfort is going to be great exercise for you as you prepare for the discomfort of having the negotiations. And you'll be so much better prepared if you've gone through this a few times and looked at it on Zoom and reviewed it. And then once you get it to where you like, I encourage my clients to take the audio version of it and just listen it to it on a loop. So it's like your skin. You don't even have to think about it. I think it's worthwhile also to go into your meeting with a s- Some kind of outline for the things you want, because I can't tell you how many people go into negotiations. These are my three things. As soon as they go in there, they forget all of them because they're so nervous. So write that. I would say bring a list in of your top 10 items. We're going to talk about three will be the priority. But just in case they tell you, for some reason, one of the items... Like if they say one of your items is you want a windowed office and they're like, oh, we're in the basement. We have no windowed offices. Okay. We don't want to ask for, we might not want to ask for a windowed office if there actually aren't any in this pathology department, but then we have this list of 10. So we'll just pick up the next thing. So if you have a list of 10, I would just line item. What's your priority? One through 10. And then you have so much room you won't forget. It's all there. I'll tell you, this is what we'll do in coaching with my clients is that we work on all this together from the beginning to the end where I help... I help them decide what it is they want, what it is they don't want, advocate for everything, script it out. We role play. I'll be I'll be the chair asking them the hard questions, we'll record it, we'll review it together, we'll evaluate it, we'll up-level it, we'll do the emails together, we'll make, construct the emails back and forth, the thank you statements, everything from moving into the office, to integrating into the department, to asking for the raise, to going through the interview, the whole bit is what comes with coaching so valuable. But you can take the advice here and just do it on Zoom and watch yourself. Have other people watching give you feedback if you like. I want to emphasize this. I think it's really useful and very savvy if you ask for a promotion partnership criteria before you get on site for the interview. Most people never ask for it. Such a mess. There's so much value in there. They may or may not give it to you. I think it's a really red flag if they won't give it to you because There seems like they're hiding something. You want to see it because it'll show you what they value. It helps you understand them. You remember our irresistible ask. Step one is to know what they want. It's all in that promotion document. It sets you up for success. Now you know, okay, writing papers is the most important thing. Let me ask them all the questions related to writing papers. Do we have someone to pull slides? Is there a statistician in the department? Is there someone who helps prep papers in the department? Do we have someone who reviews grants here? It really... it guides your questions to be very high level, they will be really impressed. And then you'll have all of that as you go. You'll set yourself up for success. So you are going to be ahead of the game. You're going to go there knowing, okay, here's what I need to do to be partner from day one. It makes your decisions very streamlined and useful as opposed to I've seen people who loved committee work and just committed work themselves every day. They had committees and they loved it. And then they were at the job for seven years, and they said, okay, can I go for promotion? The chair's like, what? You haven't written one paper. These committees don't count for anything, right? You don't want to find that out on year seven. You want to find that out before you get on site for your interview. It's very impressive. It's very informative. I think it's also like if you're deciding between jobs, that promotion criteria can really be a make or break decision for you because you'll understand their values. And if one center your values are aligned, I promise you your whole career there will be so much easier. If you want to write papers, they're an institution that likes papers, it's work going to work very well for you. Versus going to a job where you love writing papers and they don't care anything about papers. All they care about is RVUs. You're going to feel like you're suffocating. You're not able to grow your strengths. Incompatible values are incompatible, period. So you want to make sure your values align. And it's the quickest way to determine that by looking at promotion and Partnership criteria. I think it's also useful, and this is one you're gonna have to be careful about. But here's your next tip is to ask how many faculty have left in the last three years and why. It just gives you a really good idea of what's going on. For example, if they say they're really happy and they're great, and 50% of the faculty have left in the past three years, you know something's going on. And you can find those faculty and ask if you want to, but you have to be careful because it can put them on guard. And they might be a little suspicious. You know, if they feel on guard or attacked or defensive, that could feel super weird. I think even if they feel attacked and defensive, if if you're asking from a curious place of someone being very thorough and they come across defensive, that's a red flag. There's something there they're hiding. They don't seem to be like super open and honest. That's useful to know. But I have been to places where. I interviewed and seemed like a great place. And I asked them what happened. And they're like, yeah, everyone left last year when I asked them. They weren't going to offer it. Like, good to know, right? Right. I'll say this too. Here's another. This is also, I'm like, I'm going to, we're moving on. We're in the risky category of things to ask. (laughs) Not risky, like you shouldn't ask them, but just, just be very sensitive and thoughtful about them when you ask them and how you ask them. And, And through coaching, I can help you like position those questions in a thoughtful way. But here's what, if you're at an institution and you're unhappy and you're willing to move, and if you're in that place, you've worked with your home institution and you're you're making some headway, but it's not a lot, or it's not where you want to be, you're willing to move, then I would consider going ahead and getting the other job offer, counter-competing job offers, and bringing those in as leverage to your current institution. It's risky. Because your other institution might be like, "Nah, we're not doing this. And then you, and then you go. So that's why I want to say before you do that, you want to make sure you're okay going because they might be like, okay, bye. I've never heard anyone do that, but it's possible. So you just want to be sure. So this is, brings us to a major coaching point I have is that you want to make sure all options are good first. So if you're going to do this, knowing that it could be seen as a little aggressive, you want to make sure that you're okay leading that you really would be out the door anyways. And so that can be really helpful. If you're willing to go and you have a strong job offer, many places will just meet it or exceed that offer. Sometimes it's not because the chair is being a meanie pants because the dean says we can't do anything unless we have a second job offer. Many, most academics or centers are that way. We can't go above this unless you show me a competitive job offer and then we can. So it's something that I will have to say this can be a very unique situation. Some people, it, and it really depends from person to person, but some people, I'm like, if you really love this job, you'll have to talk to the chair ahead of time and say, what would help me get there? Many times the chair is like, I need a second job offer. And the chair is, it understands what's happening. So this is not proceed as aggressive for them. The chair is like, please go get that job offer so I can go to the dean so we can get you what we both think you should have. I need this piece to do this. And so that can be a really beautiful way of using the job offer for leverage at your home institution. For some of you, though, you're like, honestly, I'm I'm out the door. So in that case, I think it can be useful to just bring it to your home institution just, just to see. Because if your home institution is going to give you more, you can take that back to this new job, and you could pot- potentially increase that package. If for nothing else than just to... Exercise and strengthen negotiation skills. I always think it's worth it if you have the capacity. Sometimes people, though, as they're entering this phase of looking for jobs, they just don't have the cognitive or emotional capacity. And I think it's just fine just to leave if you want to leave, obviously. All right, um, right, we're getting toward the end. I want to say... Something that I think a lot of people overlook that can be so helpful is ask for a gap between jobs. So there's many, many things that you can negotiate for. What I see a lot of people do is they leave a job on a Friday, they leave fellowship on Friday, and on Monday they're working. Don't do that, please. Many centers, you have to work 90 to 120 days before you can get any time off. You want to go ahead and plan for a gap. So if you're gonna be your last day is June 30th, maybe consider now you have to work with your finances because you're not gonna get that big salary potentially. You might wanna say, okay, how how much can my finances be stretched out? Could I wait until middle of July, take two weeks off? Could I wait until middle of August? and take six weeks off, but take that time off. I promise you it's worth it. There's no rush. You're not gonna forget everything you learned, I promise, in one month or six weeks. Because if you're moving across the country, it's gonna take some time to get everything across the country, to organize your house, to clean everything up. And You might be a fellow staying at the job, I'd say still ask for that six weeks off. Because even though you're maybe you're not moving apartments, you're shifting your identity from fellow to faculty or from a faculty to a leader. You're shifting identity, and it takes emotional and mental space. You want to organize your mind. You want to reorganize the house. If you're changing jobs in cities, you might need to heal from that last job. Maybe the last job was a little traumatic. Maybe you're shifting identities. You're going from academics to private or private to academics. You need time to clean out the house, clean out your mind, You need time to heal. I encourage people to take vacations, to get their house organized, to rest, recharge, reinvent themselves. It's time to, your brain's going to tell you, we got to do, 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 do. No, no, no. You have to take some time to discover who you are. What are your values? What are your goals? Reset and move forward. You don't need to do, do, do all the time. I say there's a real, you are supposed to rest in between these big jobs so that you can with intention move forward and step into your new identity. I promise you it's time well spent. It will have raise all sorts of uncomfortable feelings. I think that's why being in a coaching program can be really helpful. Beware of next tip beware of shiny object syndrome. I highly recommend getting the highest base salary possible because all of your future raises will be based on it and sometimes your bonuses too. Most many institutions I've seen what they'll do is they'll say, okay, well, we can raise your base salary by $10,000 a year, or we can give you $25,000 cash signing bonus if you sign right now. A lot of people will be like, ooh, $25,000. Let me have it right now. Cash? What? Yes. I'm going to go for it. They don't understand that even though you got that cash, a lot of that's going to go to taxes. And in the long run, you've lost money. If you get $10,000 more a year, your base salary, and then your raises are based on that, you're going to accumulate so much more money over time. So I say, Even though it sounds like fun, like winning the lottery, let go of the bonus to have more money over time. Remember, this is your next tip, is there's more on the table than money. So if you want to just, when we coach together, we go through all of this, but I'll just, I'm going to give you the tips here there's so much more than money. So in your journal prompt, what would it take me excited about here? I want you to really dig very deeply and think about and broadly about everything that's potentially on the table. that could have you be excited for this job. Some of it might be money, of course. And there's other things like I think time is way more important than I think money is important for sure. And I think time is way more important than money. So weeks on service. How was your academic time? What's your protected time off? What kind of service are you doing? Do you love it? Or do we want to negotiate for no hospital time, no clinic time, no ICU coverage? Or maybe you're an ICU doc and all you want is ICU. You don't want clinic. Or you want less call. Or you want your shifts to be 10 hours instead of 12 hours. Or you want flexible vacations. You want to be able to know your schedule a year in advance so you can plan things out. Versus some centers give you the their schedule a day, July, June 30th, you get July one schedule. Or CME, do you have flexibility in the CME? For example, if you love Fiji, or I'm just making this up. I don't know if Fiji has CME courses. Let's just assume they do. You love going to Fiji, you can just kind of get some reassurance that you can take your Annual CME in Fiji. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? Admin support, office space, windows in your office, equipment, research funds, schedule flexibility, moving expenses, I think are standard, but just make sure. Computer upgrades, a laptop for your home use. Have your coaching pay for y'all? I can't tell you how many people will say, oh, I want to do coaching, but it's so expensive. And I say, why should it be expensive? Get your boss to pay. your bo- If you're a savvy negotiator, you can get your boss to pay. There, There's no limit. To the resources you can get, have your coaching paid for, leadership titles, or maybe you don't want any leadership titles either way. Accelerate your promotion, help people go ahead and just instead of waiting three years to apply for their promotion, we just apply for the promotion at the time they go in and just get to that. Pay raise the advanced status. Signing bonuses. Academics do signing bonuses if you ask for them. Maybe you want to support developing a lecture series, you want to support a wellness program or initiative in your university, get that support ahead of time, which might require funds from the department. This was an expert masterclass on negotiations, all things. I'll tell you, this is the work we do inside my program. And when you join you get full support from the very beginning of the idea of thinking about a job. If you're a trainee, all the way to negotiating, to landing in place, to accelerating, to going through promotion, to asking for your next set of negotiations, to retirement. We do all of that. And then your post-retirement identity of reinventing yourself. We do all of that. When you enroll, you can take the negotiation course, it's 45 minutes, and you can take that today and negotiate tomorrow. And you can use some of these skills to help with your husband, your little children, your in-laws. There's no part of your life that can't be up level by knowing this skill. You'll be on our next call in a few days. We meet at least once a week. You can sign up for your bonus private session to tailor all of this to your needs. Enroll or book your free consultation right now at YourPathInFocus.com. Bye, everyone. See you next time.